Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Uh, I'm a little hoarse today, and uh, that's also the same for my co-host, Mr. Nick Polak. Nick, what's going on? You know, just, just, just living in this aftermath here. Just wallowing, suffering. Just, just trying to get by. Just Googling the heat death of the universe and why it can't come sooner. All those normal and fun reactions that we have in the aftermath of losses, because uh, Saturday night, I was in Beaver Stadium, Nick was in Beaver Stadium, about 110,000 of our closest friends were in Beaver Stadium as well to witness a uh, 27-26 victory for the Ohio State Buckeyes over the Penn State Nittany Lions. Uh, We're going to touch on just about everything we can in this game. For me, Nick, the thing that makes the most sense is to start in the first half and work our way through chronologically because this is one of those rare football games where like everything came to a head at one point at the end and I think it is easiest for us to talk about this game that way. So when we look at the first half, Penn State goes into the locker room with a 13 to 7 lead. I knew I if you told me going into this game that Ohio State was going to score 10 point, uh, seven first half points and Penn State was going to be winning at halftime, I wouldn't have cared if the score was 8 to 7. I was going to feel really really good. But in the context of the game itself, I thought 13 to 7 didn't quite feel like it accurately represented how the first half of football played out. What do you think? I agree. I think they I mean, if they had put up more than six points in those three drives with scoring opportunities, then I think this game is over in the third quarter. But fortunately, that's not how it worked out. But I, I agree with you. If I if I had been told that before the game, I would have thought to myself, okay, like that that sounds pretty good. I'll take yeah. that. If if they could limit Ohio's if limit Ohio State to seven points in one half of football, and you're doing something right, and Penn State's defense, uh, as maligned, I, I, yeah, I think that might be the word, as maligned as it was and uh, criticized as it was coming into this game, for the first half hour of football, I don't think they could have played much better. They did an outstanding job all night, really, uh, containing J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber, Dwayne Haskins, up until well, I mean, whenever he had to throw a football down the field and not just dump it off to somebody, he looked like a guy playing his first ever road game in front of 110,000 people who were just you know stark raving mad lunatics the entire game. But it's the other side of the ball, Nick. Where um, the, again, despite the fact that Penn State had a one possession lead going into halftime. It just didn't feel, it felt like if Penn State lost, we were going to be pointing really, really hard at how the first half of football played out on the offensive side of things. Yeah, I think that's fair. And plus, when you're going into halftime with a 13-7 score, knowing that you're giving the ball right back to start the second half, that kind of that kind of flavors your, flavors your thoughts as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's, man. I have a lot of things to say. No, go for it. Go for it. I no, Well, let's let's get into our let let's give anything. What do you want me to go into anything specific here? Or do you just talk about the defense in general? Kind of continue where we're going. Well, that's, that's yeah. 
I, I was going to say, whatever, I, I mean, let's keep it limited to the first half for right now, but anything you want to touch on, I mean, I think we can uh, okay. kind of explore a few different avenues here. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I mean, as I know we just said first half, but as a game as a whole, I think the defense played like 98% of a just brilliant, brilliant football game. First half, I thought they were outstanding. And I think the biggest the biggest thing to point to in that regard is that they made Dwayne Haskins look straight up ordinary. And this is a dude who was, had a 16 to one touchdown interception ratio this year is completing 72% of his passes. And they made him look very, very ordinary. I mean, if you go through Ohio state's drives in the first half, first drive, four plays, 15 yards, punt, three yard, three plays, three yards, punt, three plays, four yards, punt, two plays, 11 yards, interception, six plays, 18 yards, punt, three plays, zero yards, punt, three plays, seven yards, punt, three plays, eight yards, punt, two plays, 25 yards, touchdown, one play, negative three yards, end of half. That's about as incredible of a half of football that you can play against a team with the weapons of Ohio State as you could possibly envision. I don't think, Mm -hmm. if you you had said that that's what the defense would do in the first half, I would – absolutely think that Penn State would win that game. Yeah, I, I mean, it It was the kind of performance that, like, we'd kind of been waiting for from Penn State's defense because we had seen glimpses of that uh, throughout the season. Uh, the issue was it always seemed like it would come, um, you, you know, it would come and go. Like, there would be, uh, it would take a little bit of time for them to kind of get calibrated, and then once they did, it was just rain fire on your opponent. But here, I mean, the defense in the first half did everything it had to do and more. Like, you going through that drive chart, it is stunning that, you know, just like through it, one, two, uh, I won't count that one, three, five three and outs, a turnover, one drive where uh, they ended up getting uh, to six plays and then having to punt. And then a touchdown on uh, a short field. We'll we'll get to uh, the turnover thing in a second because we had a point we wanted to make that we talked about before. But when I then look at Penn State and I look at Penn State's offense, its first drive, it ends up making it down to the Ohio State 40-yard line, first and 10. They ended up punting on that drive. The drive after that, they get down to Ohio State's 17-yard line. They put Tommy Stevens in the game. For how much people love Tommy Stevens, how much I love Tommy Stevens, the Tommy Stevens just was not working. And when they get down to Ohio State 17, Tommy goes for a loss of 13 yards. They have to settle for a field goal. The drive after that, uh, they ended up getting down to Ohio State's 28 after a big run by Trace. Well, Ohio State's 26, then Trace gets sacked. Missed a field goal. You look at those three drives. That is one field goal when you were on their 17-yard line. That is one field goal when you were facing a third and seven from their 26-yard line. And a punt when you had gotten down the field a little bit and you ended up punting on their 39-yard line. Like, it was just, it was very, I, I don't know if conservative is the word, but it felt like they were going very, very by the book, and they were at no time really going like, you know what, let's go for it. We have these opportunities. Let's tr- let's try and pick up some points. Let's try and see opportunities to either, uh, you know, the two missed dri- the two missed field goal, dr- the missed field goal drive, 
Um, you know what? Screw it. We're in their 28-yard uh, line. It's fourth and nine. They'd have to take over from really deep in their territory. I know he just made a field goal. Let's go for it. Like, there wasn't a lot of uh, throwing caution in the wind. And I kind of get that because for how good Penn State is, Ohio State is still the more talented team. And you don't want to take too many risks because you don't want to, uh, you want to reduce the amount of chance there is in deciding this game. You want it to go as uh, kind of gross and as by the book as possible. But at some time, man, you got to go for it. You have to you know, put your foot on their throat and step down. You have to make the plays that that go that go for those touch that go for those big plays that go for touchdowns that aren't the that you go. We drop the pass. We're going to go to him anyway on the next play because why not? We're the underdog. We are the, are the underdog here at home, Nick. I think in those situations, go for it. Try and win this game by the time you get into halftime and you have Ohio State in such a big hole. And again, this is very easy for me to say while I'm sitting at a at a desk two hours away from State College, Pennsylvania, and I had nothing to do with the outcome of this game. Go for it. Win this game. Get into halftime where it's not you're up 13 to 7, where you're up, you know, 20 to 7. We're again, we'll get to the fumble in a second. That kind of stuff. I felt they left points on the board in the first half, and I want to know what you think. Yeah, I agree completely, and I I think something that you just said kind of kind of illustrates my thoughts on the game as a whole. I mean, if you listen to the preview podcast or you listen to my Facebook Live thing the morning of, I my thoughts on this game have were the same all throughout. I think that these were two very evenly matched teams with very similar strengths and very similar weaknesses. Um, I obviously Ohio State has a little bit more talent, but Penn State had a home field advantage to kind of counteract that. And when you have a when you have a situation like that, I'm going to lean on the team that has the more experienced and, in my opinion, better starting quarterback in Trace McSorley. I don't think the game was called in a way that reflected the thought that they were equal teams. I think. I mean, I, I think in ways conservative is the right word. I I don't think they they I mean they played this game like they're the underdog, and yes, they were a three point underdog or three and a half, whatever it settled on as the kickoff started. Yeah, they were the underdog by technical terms, but if you watch that game, they were not the underdog. I fully truly believe that they were the better team on Saturday night. I, I completely agree. Which, which we can get into uh, in a little bit here, I'm sure, but they didn't. I don't think the coaches called the game like they were the better team they called like they were called the game like they were the scrappy underdogs who were lucky to get any shred of points they could that's the part of it that's disappointing to me it's i like listen like ohio state's defense hasn't been world beaters this year so yes you want to take points when you can get them but they i mean they they absolutely left points on the board and yeah. i think it is partially a function of the fact that this game was called a bit like they like it was 2016 this game was called like they were a multiple touchdown underdog and they weren't and they shouldn't have been yeah i and and one thing that i you know i just alluded to it but i want to touch on a little bit more because i think this is like this is the kind of thing that decides a football game with uh you know, right as Ohio State gets the ball for the first time in the second quarter, Dwayne Haskins drops back, 
Ball hits off of a dude's hands. Garrett Taylor gets it. Runs the other way. Ball in the Ohio State 28-yard line. Here's what happens after that. First and 10, Miles Sanders runs for a loss of 3 yards. Second and 13, incomplete pass. Third and 13, run it for 10 yards. Fourth and 3 from the Ohio State 21. They're taking the points on a 39-yard field goal. In theory, I don't hate that idea. When you're up 3-0, can you get 3 yards? I think you can. And you go for it, and you go for trying to get those points. Worst case scenario, Ohio State's getting the ball inside their own 20-yard line, and they have to march down the field against a defense that's been locked in for one quarter. Conversely, towards the end of the second quarter, it's 13 to nothing. Penn State's offense... They can get a little bit conservative here. They can try and get just get into the locker room, that sort of thing. Miles Sanders gets the ball, fumble. Ohio State recovers. That sort of thing happens. Ohio State, though, is able to turn that into seven points. And because this is a one-point football game, it is, again, I don't know how things play out after that, but it's very easy for me to look at those uh, two sequences of series and go... That's the kind of thing, settling for three points after uh, you get the ball deep in their territory on a, an interception versus getting seven points, that turns this game and makes me go, mm, that there's a missed opportunity here that was compounded by a few other missed opportunities, Nick, that uh, popped up over the course of the, uh, of the entire evening. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's I I get after the pens after the Garrett Taylor interception. It's still early in the game, and there's still a hope of being able to establish Miles Sanders in the run game. So I I understand why you go to him to start. But one thing that Penn State's been so great about the last three years, so the last two years of Moorhead and in these games under Ricky Ronnie. They've been so great about just going for the throat immediately after turnovers, and they didn't do that um, in this situation where, I mean, it called for it. Against an Ohio State team that's given up big play after big play this year, You, I think you have to go for the end zone on that first play. And obviously it's, yeah, Miles, you don't expect him to go for a loss of three yards with how he's played this year, but um, the defensive line for Ohio State is absolutely beastly even without nick bosa so uh and i don't think i don't think miles sanders poor day was as much on him as probably probably as people are putting it on him because i don't yeah. think the offensive line was great but, and and also ohio state's defensive line is outstanding yeah yeah even without nick bosa i mean he, i mean they're three deep on the defensive line is almost entirely five stars like it's it's pretty ridiculous so i agree yeah it's they they didn't they didn't capitalize on that interception the way that they could have. And ultimately that's one of the many things that um, contributed to the final, but that is definitely one of the things that ended up costing them. Yeah. And there's the other, there are other things in the first half. Like uh, I, I'll look really quickly. Uh, Tommy Stevens touched the ball three times, went for negative 12 yards. Uh, they didn't throw it to him. He didn't throw any passes. So I, I mean the, the Tommy package just wasn't working. They eventually got away from it, but it took uh, a few um, a few not good things happening for them to go, okay, no Tommy. I get not throwing Ricky Slade in there because you don't want the freshman in there, but 
I'm, I'd like to have seen a little bit more variety when it came to... Uh, on, a ni- on a night when the run up the gut wasn't working, trying mm-hmm. something with Ricky Slade bouncing to the outside, I think mm-hmm. would have been good. Yeah, like that sort of stuff. Uh, the drops were killer. Uh, we, we'd been waiting all year for um, Penn State to either get over its issues with... Uh, and this is more of a full game thing, get over its issues with its receivers uh, catching a case of the dropsies. Um, and unfortunately, they just manifested themselves. I know J- J- Juwan Johnson had a few. I think Brandon Polkman had one or two. Uh, I- I'm sure uh, someone, probably you, Nick, I'm sure you'll like keep note of this when you go back and rewatch the game and you do Trace's passing chart. But it felt like this was the game where drops really, really cost them. It- yep. And but also also like despite this, they like there's something to the fact that they were able to get into the locker room at halftime and they were uh, not only ahead but they just looked like on the whole the better football team. And uh, as we're getting into the second half, I thought that things were really starting. Uh, to tip in the direction of this is going to end up being a disaster, like a blowout loss, when Ohio State comes right out and uh, scores in their first drive of the second half. But I, that didn't end up being the case. Like I thought, again, second half, Penn State's defense, uh, for most of the time, it came to play and it kept Ohio State... Uh, up until the very end, after that first drive, it kept Ohio State more or less in check. Yeah, I agree. It's I the the touchdown of the half was not not a great omen, and the offense didn't do much to quell that fear when they came out and went three and out with negative three yards right after that. But uh, Penn State got a little lucky the next drive. Ohio State missed that field goal after they had to reset it for the penalty. But the defense stepped up after that, especially a couple of drives later. Penn State uh, went forward and didn't get it on fourth down, and the defense responded by by uh, holding the Ohio State offense to a loss of one and a punt. So they, the defense, absolutely like like I said, I thought the defense truly was outstanding. Aside from really three plays that we'll talk about soon here. Yeah, I, but okay, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. That that's all. That's all. All right. Well, well, yeah. I, I was going to say the third quarter offense couldn't really get going. And like, I really do not want to make it sound like I think this was a good thing, but KJ Hamler really in a very, very difficult pass uh, because the dude got leveled. Like I haven't gone back to watch uh, the play that led to uh, Isaiah Pryor getting thrown out for targeting. Mm-hmm. But that seemed like it lit a bit of a spark under Penn State. Like, from there, they end up getting into the end zone. Uh, Pat Fryermuth ends up catching a touchdown from McSorley to end that drive. Ohio State turns the ball over on downs because of Penn State. Just this outstanding, outstanding stuff um, on a fourth and one at, right after they cross midfield. Penn State gets the ball back. A nice seven-play uh, seven drive. Get into the end zone. Trace uh, gets them knocking on the doorstep. He ran a few times on that drive. Miles Sanders hammers it in. They don't get the two-point conversion, which ended up being a much bigger deal uh, than we had previously thought it was going to need to be. But at that point, Nick, it's 24-16. to 16. 
There's yep. eight minutes left. Penn State's offense looks like it's finally humming. 26-14. 26-14, my bad. 26-14, Penn State's offense looks like it's finally humming. What happens after that? So, I think I'm, I'm going to tie that into yes. what I'm going to say. I, and I was going to say, for those of you, uh, if you like kind of a companion thing, Nick wrote about uh, screen passes on the site. Make sure you give that a read in addition to uh, listen to what Nick's going to be saying right here. Yes, and even even before that, and I'll get into the screen the screens in that final drive in a second. Um, going back to the to the Benjamin Victor touchdown, the forty seven yard touchdown. Going into this game, I think everyone who's a Penn State fan kind of kind of was in agreement that this is a really really good team. But if the mistakes that they are making through the first four weeks of the season showed up against Ohio State, it could end up being a big problem. And I think the big deficiencies this team has can be boiled down to two things, one on each side of the ball. Defend, or offensively, uh, it's the drops by the receivers. And we've already talked about how big of a deal those ended up being. I mean, starting right away, Juwan Johnson dropped the first drive of the game. Um, the other one, in my mind, being the inconsistent tackling, especially by the secondary. Mm-hmm. Benjamin Victor, that first of all, that touchdown—it was a pretty, pretty remarkable play by Victor. I'm not going to sell sell what he did. He short. just kept running. He just kept. He running. just kept yeah. running. But the number of missed tackles and terrible angles and all that taken on that touchdown pass—that I, I, was kind of the moment when, in my mind, that's kind of when my stomach dropped. That's when you realize this this is kind of going to go like last year, isn't it? Just the way he sliced through the defense and they really, they really offered no resistance to him. That was, that was a, that was a sign of what was to come. I think, um, after that Penn state gets the ball back, goes four plays, um, ends up punting from the, what is it? Punting from the Ohio state 42 after they take the delay of game. Um, Again, I thought pretty conservative play calling. I know a lot of some most of that drive actually was uh, McSorley scrambling, but mm-hmm. um, it, when it, has, yeah, yeah, Go. when I, when Ohio State gets the ball back, that's when we get into screen Mageddon. So Ohio State, Ryan. I mean, this was brilliant play calling by Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson for Ohio State side of things. They knew that backed up on their own four yard line right in the student section's faces that Penn state was trying to going to try to do everything it could to get at Dwayne Haskins. And they called a screen pass from the four yard line to JK Dobbins. That was yes. Penn state should have done a better job, especially Koa farmer who I thought was lazy on the play and he didn't get off his block and Dobbins ended up shooting right through the hole where farmer would have been if he had given his full effort on the play. Um, but he, they used Penn state's aggressiveness against them and they, those, the linemen blocked it up perfectly. They feigned their blocks excellently. And then were right there to eat up Cam Brown and eat up Imani Oruwari immediately. Um, so that was a, that was a beautifully run screen pass for Ohio state. And then of course the game winner, um, to KJ Hill, which, to no, I, I hate I, I really don't want to do this to John Reed because I love John Reed but and he played a most mostly a pretty great game from what I could tell I have I've only rewatched the first drive so far um, but 
what KJ Hill did to John Reed on that touchdown and rather what John Reed was not able to do. Nick Scott had Nick Scott was being blocked up, but he had forced Hill to the perimeter where there was maybe a three, three yard wide area where John Reed was coming straight at KJ Hill. KJ Hill was coming straight at John Reed Hill. I mean, he's a quick dude and he made a little cut juke step, but the, it was completely inexcusable the way that John Reed went after that tackle, just completely whiffed flailing, got absolutely no part of Hill. And then from there, maybe a block in the back. I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell from the broadcast, but um, Tariq Castro fields gets thrown into Cam Brown and Nick Scott taking them all the play and Hill walks into the end zone. Um, It was disappointing. I thought, that the defense was not more prepared for those screen passes. Not that Penn State has ever been good at defending screen passes, but considering Haskins' inability to make those downfield throws all night in a situation where you knew he was going to have to throw downfield if they wanted to score, um, they let him off the hook by letting him toss these little quick screen passes, and they their inability to make a play in those situations is what ultimately cost them the game. Yeah, the one place where um, Ohio State has an advantage over every defense in the country except for Alabama, maybe Clemson, Georgia, you know, and a handful of other teams is that when their guys are one in one on one in space against other guys they're always going to have the more athletic players. And they're always going to have the guys that, okay, so they're going to have two receivers blocking, and it's going to be your one guy against their guy with the football, and your one guy has to make the play. And unfortunately for Penn State, too many times their one guy was unable to make that play. And it's, uh, you know, after the game, James Franklin talked about uh you know, we've gone from uh, an average team to a good team to a great team, but we're not an elite team yet. You, it, it's so hard to um, to to uh, define what makes a team elite. But one thing that makes teams elite is that when other teams do stuff that they're elite at, you are able to stop them from doing it, or when. Uh, other teams want to do the stuff, want, want like defensively, you to go at their best players. When you're going at their best players, your guys are able to make them not make plays. And listen, that's not going to happen on every play. There are going to be times when Penn State's players, uh, as the team continues to grow, as the team continues to get high four-star and five-star guys into this program, when they're going to be going up against uh you know, four or five star receivers, for example, just that sort of thing. And they're not going to be able to make that play. And that happens. But you have to be able to make that play some amount of times. And it just didn't seem like they were able down the stretch to make that play when they had to. But having said that, Nick, if you told me coming into this game that Ohio State was going to have 389 yards of total offense and they were going to score 27 points, the first thing out of my mouth probably would... Oh, and they were going to average 3.2 yards per rush and uh, less than 7 yards per pass. 
the first thing out of my mouth was going to be, oh, so Penn State won the football game. But Penn State didn't want win the football game, and there are a lot of reasons why. I do before we get into talking about Penn State's final drive of the game, I do not want to make it sound like the one play call on fourth and five was the reason Penn State lost this game. There were drop passes. There was a, a fumble deep in Penn State's territory that Ohio State was able to capitalize on. Fourth and a, a Twitter user at B Predict included two. Uh, listed some stuff, two punts inside of Ohio State's 40, a punt on fourth and one from Ohio State's 49, a field goal on fourth and three in the red zone. There were drop passes. There were missed tackles. There were all of these things. There was also the fact that Ohio State is a good football team, and they were able to do, like, all credit to them. They won the game. When the game was there for the taking, they were able to take it. But Penn State gets the ball. Two minutes left. 25 on the Penn State 25 first and 10 this is the moment that Trace McSorley has been waiting for he is in the midst of the game of his life I'm not trying to sound hyperbolic he had 286 passing yards and 175 rushing yards and Penn State had 492 yards on the game he was having the game of his life completes a pass to Pat Fryermuth Gets sacked, it happens. Incomplete pass to Brandon Polk, it happens. Third and 14, there is a minute and a half left. Trace runs the ball down. It's fourth and five. They're in Ohio State territory. Nick, I'm going to have you go first because I think people can tell by the tone of my voice what I think about using two timeouts and then handing the ball to Miles Sanders. What did you think of that play? Well, first of all, with the timeouts, I think they, I mean, it put them in a situation where they were overthinking things, which I, I, I get why they took the timeouts. It's a situation that calls for it, and they tried to get them to jump off sides once or twice, so I get it. But I think it led to a little bit of overthinking. And, like, I, all right, so, so I don't, I've been playing a lot of NCAA football lately. And when you, when great I, great way, great way to start whatever you're about to say. When I get into a fourth and three, I'm going read option every single time. Okay. Because if you do it right, you have the numbers advantage and you should have a fairly easy path to three or four yards. But this wasn't three or four yards, it was five yards against an Ohio State defensive line that is ferocious and was the really the only thing about their defense that consistently worked all night long. I know that Penn State has faith in Miles Sanders and I know that they have faith in Trace McSorley and I think they made the correct read on the play. I think Trace was mm-hmm. right to give the ball off, but Ohio State just played it perfectly. The thing that I hate the thing that I hated about that play call is just what you said. Trace was magnificent on Saturday night. He was absolutely truly magnificent. That, that he that that was on as the goes verge down as his right. greatest performance. No, that was on the verge of him no, having, go ahead. Ha, that was him having the moment that JT Barrett had against Penn State last year. This was the moment exactly. that it was at the very least if Penn State was able to win this game getting him an invite to New York at the end of the year. Yes. So because of all that because of how incredible he was all night long I hate, I hate that the play came down to 
I mean, like Bill, like Bill Connolly said, I hate that the play came down to them trusting Penn State's offensive line to make a play instead of trusting Trace to make a play. Because in my mind, I'm either going to I'm either having Sanders immediately shoot to the flat because I'm I feel I feel pretty good about saying Ohio State's probably blitzing on that play fourth and five. Mm-hmm. It's that's a really tough situation for a defense because you're kind of stuck in between there of what to do, whether to sit back on the line or to just come in after the quarterback. I'm either shooting Sanders straight out to the flat or I'm letting Trace roll out with maybe Pat Fryermuth or somebody else running a running an out route in front of me. So I have an option whether to throw or pass pretty clearly. But either way, I would have much preferred to see something where Trace has an opportunity to make a play rather than him rather than his situ- his situation on that his situation on that play was I his his decision making there is what leads to the play rather than him being able to lead to the big play. I would much rather have seen something that allowed him to be the one to make the play like he had been doing all night. Yeah, we have two and a half years of evidence that shows that when you say Trace, we need you to make the play, he's going to make the play. And like yeah, he'll have a moment where you know, he gets sacked like he did against Ohio State last year. He throws a pick like he did uh, against uh, Pitt or against USC. Or he, uh, you know, going up against uh, Michigan State, throws a ball a little high, hits it off DeAndre Tompkins' hands. Spartans get the football. But we have enough evidence to prove that Trace McSorley is the kind of guy who can come, who is more often than not going to come through in these moments. And I think when you're taking that away from him, because like you said, Nick, Penn State had eight guys in the box versus seven guys for Ohio State. And then out, assuming it was an RPO, we've never, we haven't had anyone straight up say it was an RPO, but just operating under the assumption it was an RPO. Eight on seven in the box, three receivers, four uh, uh, back seven players, out wide what was either going to happen on that play was he was going to stick the ball in miles sanders gut and miles was going to run into or well even if he didn't stuff him like it ended up happening run at chase young who had the game of his life or he was going to take it back, look over, and throw a ball to, I believe, Matt Kippenhammer because Penn State called a screen. So it was either run at the guy having the game of his life, or it was throw the ball to a yard behind the line of scrimmage, and instead of saying fourth and five, you're saying go pick up six yards because that's what we need from you at the bare minimum. What I would have liked to see, well, first off, I want to give a little bit more credit to Bill Connolly because he had the best way of describing it. Uh, he called it an overthought. I know you know, but you know I know, but I know you know I know play call, which is kind of the best way to It felt like Penn State was trying to, um, you know, someone, whomever made the play call, James Franklin took the blame for it, which, you know, good for him. Like, uh, he he's either, uh, either he made that decision or what is probably a little bit more likely based on just what we know about college football, he's... Uh, the head coach trying to protect his first-year offensive coordinator. Both of those are fine. But having said that, you need what has worked so well all night is either Trace McSorley is throwing the ball down the field to someone, 
I'm not saying call the uh, play that you called uh, on fourth down against Iowa when it was like a fourth and two or something, uh, and Trace threw it right to Saeed Blacknall, and he was able to come down with it. Only you're replacing Blacknall with Matt Kippenhammer. Uh, nothing like that. I don't know. But things were at their best for Penn State in the second half when chaos broke out because they were the team. They were the lesser team in this game in terms of talent. When you are the lesser team in terms of talent, which is not to say that Penn State's a bad football team, it's a very, very, very good football team that still has a shot at making the playoff, you thrive in chaos. You thrive in those moments where the other team's talent level is not able to decide whether or not the game is going to uh, the game is going to be won or lost. You thrive in the moments where everything gets thrown out the window and it just comes down to doing something. And Trace McSorley is a quarterback who over the course of his career has found a way to do something as evidenced by the fact that he had like 465 of Penn State's 492 total yards, something absurd like that. Taking the ball out of his hands, I, I just can't fathom it. And yeah, all credit to Chase Young for making a killer, killer play. Like, that's the kind of play that reminds you why he was, why Penn State was after him so hard, why so many schools wanted him, why he was uh, a five-star prospect. But at the same time, if you're going back and you're looking back, and I know they said that was a mistake, but when you're looking back on that, man, even if it worked out, like, I think there's a little bit of room for questioning it that is, you know, completely there because they weren't able to make the play. Because, And I'm not saying they definitely make the, uh, I'm not saying they definitely make that play if they put it in Trace McSorley's hands and say, Trace, see what happens. We trust you completely, but I would have taken that over anything else, especially knowing uh, about Ohio State's struggles at linebacker and especially knowing that Ohio State's secondary, it was a bit hit or miss on the year. But unfortunately, um, the game is now in the past. Um, I, um, is there anything else that you want to talk about uh, Nick, just in relation to this game before we, uh, kind of, you know, take a deep breath and look forward. Yeah, I think there's three things for me. Go ahead. Uh, one is that I, I do, I think people are going to look back on this game and remember the last drive and forget how great Penn state was defensively. And I think that's unfair to the defense because they truly were phenomenal for again, 98% of the night. And yeah, you need that full 100% in order to win a game like this. But for a defense as young and as inexperienced as this one, I think this could truly be a really good stepping stone for them. And I'm really expecting to see big, big things from the defense the rest of the year. Um, number two, shout out Pat Fryermuth because my dude is balling out. He He's was awesome. amazing. He was excellent. He was truly, truly excellent from that first from that one handed touchdown grab to the 27 yarder on the last drive. Really, the last positive thing the Penn State offense did. He was he was outstanding. He was open a lot more than he, he could have gotten a lot more in the passing game on Saturday night, too. He really was in a good position to take advantage of the Ohio State linebackers. And it didn't end up falling that way. But he was excellent. Um, and then the final thing is that. Oh, boy, did I just forget my final thing? 
Yeah. Okay. Never mind. I guess right. I only have two. Yeah, two I had three, but I forgot. All right. That's well, fine. Uh, I, I will speak just real quick. Uh, I completely agree with you um, with how the defense had sh- struggled a little bit. Uh, the fact that it was able to, it got, it used Ohio state as its game to get on track. And I don't know how much of that was uh, feeding off of the crowd. I don't know how much of much of that was game planning and uh, how things matched up, but it is a little bit funny to me that they looked uh, more, they looked comfortable for 90% of the game against, if not 95% of the game against Ohio state, uh, but they struggled for a half, keep well, a little more than a half uh, with Illinois. Like that's funny. Uh, yeah, Frymouth was outstanding. Uh, I don't Illinois better than Ohio State. That's Illinois, proof. Illinois is uh, certifiably uh, better than Ohio State. Uh, if you have any complaints uh, about this, make sure you email Matt at RoarLionsRoar.com. Make sure you CC yeah. Tim Beckman. Uh, well, no, just annoy Matt uh, because. Uh, He's the boss. Uh, Frymer, outstanding. Uh, he's a star. He's a guy that I think is going to be around uh, for a long, 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 long time. Uh, there was some, that, that actually very vaguely reminds me of something that I found that that was maddening to me. Um, for On Penn State's final, we're going to have Dan do snap counts uh, sometime in the coming days. Like He was busy getting mad at the Eagles today. Um, but as, we're, as he was watching... As he's watching, I'm going to have him pay attention. I don't think that uh, PJ Mustafer played at all, um, and on the which, like you know, that happens. Like they want to protect his red shirt, which is a, a, a situation that I don't know how much I agree with it. Depending on how good, if PJ Mustafer is as good as it looks like he's going to be, he's not going to be here for five years. So I don't understand red shirting him unless they think he needs he really really needs that time to develop which okay use that in the weight room whatever uh but when you're running cj thorpe out there who you know i love that dude i think he's going to be one hell of a football player wherever he ends up but he was on the offensive line up until like a week ago so putting him out there for the highest leverage defensive snaps you have was a a curious decision to me and i'd love to hear someone talk about uh ask uh well, I, I, I don't know if I'd want to go that far, but I'd love to like hear what he showed that got him those late game reps. Uh, and kind of the last thing that I just want to talk about was, man, kudos to Ohio. Like, honestly, kudos to Ohio State. Like, it takes, I don't think they can beat Alabama because I don't think anyone's beaten Alabama this year, but it takes a really, really uh, tough, mentally tough, especially football team to walk into walk into the environment that Penn State fans created on Saturday night and walk out with a gut check win like this. Like, that's a really, really good win for them. And to me, it's unfortunate, you know, that Penn State wasn't able to pick it up. Uh, I do want to give James Franklin some credit for what he said after the game because I thought that quote he said about going from average to good to great to not being elite – um, that's one of those things that I can absolutely see why, um, why someone, this would rub someone the wrong way. You know, it, after a game, uh, it seems like I, I can absolutely see why someone would think he was throwing some players under the bus. Um, I don't, uh, I, I don't necessarily think he was doing that. I think he was trying to use this as to be, 
an elite football program, you need to do everything that you do at an elite level. And this game showed us that we aren't doing everything as an, at an elite level from the, you know, and I, I'm sure that he'll say, he said, I'm responsible for all of it. It's from the top down. Everyone has to do things at an elite level. And I think that having a bye week right now, Nick, is uh, a bit of a blessing because it gives this coaching staff two weeks for them to learn and for them to teach and for them to say, you know, this is what we need to do to get to the level so that the next time we play Ohio State, we're beating them by one point and we're not losing to them by one point and reinforce those lessons as they move forward. Yeah, I thought it was a great quote, actually. I, I it honestly hadn't even dawned on me until you just said that, that somebody could have taken that in a poor context because – I mean, what what did he say that was wrong? I mean, the elite teams win this game. Well, plain and simple. I, I mean, I can. I, I, I yeah. get. I get the. I now that you say it, I can see yeah. I, how he, they would. What he said in there, we're not going to babysit guys who aren't going to class. We have guys yeah. that are great at going to class, but there's two or three guys. Uh, we've been comfortable being elite. Um, there was, some, I, I believe, he said something about like it's about being on time to practice, being on time for meetings. It's about taking note. It's about like that kind of stuff. Like. Yeah, it's what it's the whole like, if you're not going to make if you're not going to make your bed in the morning, how how can you say that you're being the best version of yourself when you're not doing the simplest and first thing you could do to make a step towards that thing? Like, it's that mentality. But yeah, I, I again, I again, I could see how someone would say this is an example of a pissed off coach after a game that he bungled trying to uh, put the onus on his players but again I really do not think he was trying to do that yeah I don't think so at all I think I think more than anything and this illustrates how the Penn State football team itself is changing because as they are continuing to recruit better and better you're gonna have more and more and this is let me be very clear this is not to say that any of the younger players on the team are coming in entitled but as you recruit more and more higher level talent you're getting more and more guys that are used to being great. And that's when you kind of get into those situations where you have teams that are, like he said, comfortable with being good. So I I don't think this is, and yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a shot at anyone really. I think it's more of him just saying, Hey, we saw tonight what we saw tonight, what an elite program looks like and what they do when they get, a situation to steal a game that they really shouldn't be winning. And we're very close to that, but we're not quite at that level yet. And I don't think, I don't think he's wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong in him saying that they're, they're two points away. They're two points away from uh, being uh, two and well, th- having three straight wins over Ohio state. Like, yeah, that's crazy. Um, and, you know, we've heard about this. Plenty of people have written about this. Plenty of people have spoken about this. Uh, but there are times when you have to de-recruit guys. Like, you're spending a recruiting cycle fawning over dudes, saying that you are the guy. You are the piece that ties it all together. And with you in our program, you're going to help us go from a very, very good football team to a title contender. And he... Franklin and his staff are doing that with dozens of kids. And for each kid, there are dozens of schools doing that to them. So once you get in, you, like you said, Nick, you like, it gets to the point where you have to start 
by saying, okay, we gave, we gave you everything. Now you have to start taking it. You have to start taking that onus. And, um, the good news for Penn state is in no way, shape or form is this season over. There are three more games as of right now against ranked opponents. Iowa can end up being a ranked opponent, uh, by ESPN's playoff predictor, uh, Alabama and Ohio State both have 75% uh, chances of making the playoff. Then it's Clemson at 56%, Georgia at 52%, Notre Dame at 47%, Oklahoma at 33%, and then Penn State's the next best team with a 16% chance of making the playoff. They have a higher chance of making the playoff right now than Washington, Michigan, and LSU. Of course, Michigan can absolutely throw a monkey wrench in that. LSU can absolutely throw a monkey wrench in that. But, As I look through this schedule, if Penn State were to win out, I can't remember who tweeted it. I will go look at this so we can give them the credit that they deserve. They have a better than 50% chance at making the playoff if they run the table. It was 53. 53? Yes. So a little bit better than a coin flip if they're able to run the table and they enter... uh, they enter the postseason with wins over at least three and possibly as many as five uh, between Iowa and Appalachian State ranked teams. So, kind of looking ahead, Nick. Seth, Seth Walder. Seth Walder, thank you. <laughs> Excuse me. Looking ahead, Nick, where does the team go from here? I, well, I mean, it's pretty simple. I think they need to spend this bye week really... I, I know... I know typically with losses, you don't want to focus on that tape too much, but I think they should study the tape from this Ohio State game intensely. I think they should spend this entire... I don't think they should shift into Michigan State prep until, I don't know, Friday at the earliest. I think they should really, really take a really intense look at what happened in this game and what could have gone differently because... They played really. They played the number four team in the country, and they outplayed them, in my opinion. Like we said, so I think they need to spend a lot of time looking at what they did and figuring out how to capture that and take the best pieces away from it while continuing to improve. Um, but going forward, I very honestly, I feel I don't really feel all that different about this team as compared to how I felt about them on Friday. Yeah, I walked. When I walked out of the stadium on Saturday night, it was very much, I wasn't angry. I wasn't, like, I, anger was not the feeling on my mind. It was just very much, oh, man. Like, it was a very much just, it was right there. It was so close. But I don't feel any worse about this team than I did. I still feel very confident. I believe my prediction before the season was 11-1 and one for the regular season. I still feel same. really good about same. that. I, yeah, I still feel really good about that. I, If that same team that showed up on Saturday night, that team playing that game beats any other team on the schedule. I fully believe that. And I have there's nothing in my mind that makes me think this team is going to regress from here. I think, if anything, this is a chance for them to see how good they can be and how much they can grow from that with all the young players on the team i think that i i expect a lot more growth throughout the rest of the season and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna waste my time 
personally at this point worrying about the playoff because there are a ridiculous number of variables. I mean, we haven't even seen the first playoff poll, so there's really no sense in going into that. But I think if Penn State is able to take care of its business like it is clearly capable of doing, and if they're able to win out, if they're able to go to the big house and take down Michigan, if they're able to corral Michigan State and Wisconsin at home, then I think they'll have put themselves in a very good position. And, I mean, everyone saw that game last night. I don't think that Ohio State team is going to go undefeated. I don't know who exactly would beat them, but I know nobody thought Iowa was going to drop 55 on them last year. I don't know that that is an undefeated caliber team. I think they're a very good team, but I think Penn State showed some pretty clear cracks that other teams will likely be able to exploit. So I don't think I don't think the Big Ten championship is out of the question at all. Um, unfortunately, Penn State's put themselves in a situation now where you need Ohio State to lose twice. Uh-huh. Um, or oh, I, I won't even pretend to understand what the new tiebreaker steps are. Yeah, so maybe same. it's possible. Maybe it's possible with just a one loss, depending on who they're tied with. But um, I don't. I I mean, declaring this a lost season, declaring the Big Ten loss, declaring the playoff out of reach. I think all of those things are pretty ridiculous at this point. And I think if this team just puts their head down and goes back to work, then there's no reason they can't still accomplish the goals that they had at the start of the season. Yeah, it's funny because coming into the season, I believe you and I both said 11-1 and with the loss to Ohio State. It's very funny how uh, different that feels when we're writing it in July and how different that feels on the Sunday after the game happens in September. Um, But yeah, I I, I mentioned this and I agree with everything you said. I think that Penn State is going to be favored to win every game on the rest of its schedule, save for maybe the trip to Michigan, depending on how some things shake out between now and then. Um, I, I think they will. Um, I, A stretch of Michigan State at Indiana, Iowa at Michigan, Wisconsin. Uh, That's five games where they're going to get their asses kicked in every game. Like the other team is just going to come out and they're going to be throwing haymakers and they're going to be very physical and they're going to be very tough. And it's going to take a type of mental toughness and a type of uh, fortitude that you uh that that I think you can develop pretty quickly after you lose a game like Ohio State. Uh, But my big concern, and I was talking about this with some friends earlier, is that since making the big play against Wisconsin in the 2016 Big Ten title game, Penn State has played USC, Ohio State, Michigan State, and Ohio State in really close football games. I'm not including... I'm not including Iowa because uh, Iowa wasn't a ranked team, and I'm not quite including Washington uh, because Penn State always kind of had Washington at arm's length uh, in that game. And even if Washington score doesn't fumble in their final possession, uh, Penn State would have gotten the ball back with... Uh, no, Penn State wouldn't have gotten the ball back. But still, I, I'm not including Washington uh, just because Washington had to come from behind in that game and Penn State was able to keep them at arm's length. But in the games where Penn State has had the ball and has had the opportunity to win the game. They lost by three points to USC, one point to Ohio State, three points to Michigan State, and one point to Ohio State again. My concern 
and uh, I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to push a narrative or anything like that, is that eventually when you keep losing those games, if a narrative starts forming, and the narrative is they get into close games, they can get ahead in close games, but they cannot seal the deal and they cannot finish, that becomes a thing. And if that becomes a thing, that's a thing that weighs on you very, very heavily. And it gets to the point where you can be in a close game against any team, but you're going to hear it from the announcer. The announcer is going to be saying it, and it's going to be in the back of your mind, and it's going to be something that gets said in the lead-up to every game, that Penn State gets into close games under James Franklin, but they haven't been able to finish them, finish them against good to elite teams. I'm a little bit worried about the potential that has to um, pop up over the final half of the season, but I'm also think it's uh, they have an opportunity to kind of just blow that out the window. If they come out, they beat the brakes off of Michigan State. They handle their business against Indiana. I think they're going to ruin Iowa, like. Iowa at Beaver Stadium is not Iowa at Kinnick. Take care of business at Michigan. Oh, again, up in the air. And then Wisconsin, Rutgers, Maryland. They should, I think they're going to win all of those. We're then looking at a team that is 11-1 with a bunch of ranked victories under their belt. There's a chance that the SEC does a little bit of cannibalization. Like, Alabama's going to win. If it wins the SEC, it's going to have to beat LSU, Auburn, and Georgia to get there. I don't know if they'd want to do Alabama and George Affert just having the SEC title game. Neither here nor there. Clemson, they should win the ACC, although now that's kind of all up in the air. Oklahoma, they should win uh, the Big 12. Again, I don't know if that ends up coming to fruition, but I, I have some confidence it does. Notre Dame um, is the perpetual wild card. Uh, but again, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. The big thing is the opportunity is there. Just take care of business. Run the table if you can. If Penn State's able to run the table, I think it has everything in front of it. It has the opportunity to make the playoff. It has the opportunity. I don't want to say to win the Big Ten because I don't want to have to bank on Ohio State. But it has the, it's, it has the opportunity to be in the discussion. And I'm going to write about this sometime this week. I think Trace kind of speeds up. He's the difference between this being a 9-win team and like an 11-win team. Um, and if this could end up being an 11-win team, that's three straight years of winning 11 football games. That's a... Uh, I don't know how many programs are able to match that nationally. My guess is it's probably just Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama. But that's something that you can hang your hat on. And that's one of those things that you can help build towards the future and... There's a lot of optimism. Fix the issues with catching to whatever extent you can, because at this point it's, it seems like it's more mental than anything else. Start tackling dudes a little bit better. and Just get everyone healthy and win some games. Just win. You're good enough to win. I think they can. And I think they should be able to do that going down the stretch. So I don't think all is lost. I think Ohio State's probably going to end up winning the Big Ten. They're probably going to end up making it to Indy, and they're going to beat Wisconsin when they get there. But that's going to be a Wisconsin team that probably, hopefully has a Penn State loss on its head. If Ohio State beats Michigan, that might be a Michigan team that has a Penn State loss on its head. Same with Michigan State. 
there's still so much to play for, and it's all right in front of them. And all they have to do is get over this loss to Ohio State, which I think they're going to. Uh, any kind of final thoughts you want to say before we tie a bow on this one, Nick? No, I'm. I mean, I just i I feel like I'm walking away from this game probably in better spirits than most, just because I. I mean, we're used to this game in the past few years. Penn State obviously won in 2016, lost in 2017, but in both situations were clearly the worst team. I thought they were the better team on Saturday night, and for me, that's that's a really good sign going forward. Yep, I agree completely. Um, oh, also, one last thing. Uh, to whomever the person was in Beaver Stadium that decided to oh, God. Uh, throw all, what? where do you think I'm going with this? I'm interested. Wait, are are you talking about the kid talking to Franklin? Oh no! Uh, if you're the guy who uh, thought it was a good idea to uh, start telling James Franklin, "Listen, Coach, I love you, but you made a terrible mistake." Um, sit down God. next time, champ. That uh, was the ultimate, the ultimate hedge. He never thought Franklin was actually going to hear him, and then once he did, oh no, no, no! I still love you. I still love you. No, no, no! Please, please. Uh, no, I was going to say whomever the person was who decided to uh, play all of the lights and then whoever the people were in the student Ooh, section uh, it was that decided to uh, get everyone else to put on their cell phone uh, light. Uh, kudos to you. You were actually the real MVP of the game over Trace McSorley. Uh, unless you were also the person who was in control of the mic volume for the halftime show, which it was uh, good. Oh, Went was, to the bathroom, didn't hear it. It was a very good concept for a show. Uh, they just had to turn down uh, the mics used by the singers by a factor of 15 and bump up the ones the band used a little bit. Uh, what song from Hamilton did they do? I don't know. I didn't see Hamilton. Ugh. Ugh. Useless. Yeah, I, I don't just... Dis- oh, well, it was... Uh, no, I, I can't remember what the first one was. They ended with a few songs from Hair that I knew. I was very, I was kind of hoping they would do like some of those songs um, from uh, Book of Mormon that w- would have led to people just like booing and leaving the stadium. But I would have <laughs> laughed very hard. So uh, neither here nor there. Uh, oh, they did a few songs from Jersey Boys before there, and uh, again, I, I thought that uh, in uh, what was ended up being pretty prescient. I thought that the idea was pretty good, uh, the execution wasn't great, and they weren't necessarily put in the best position to succeed. So, it happens. Um, but yeah, that's it for this edition of the pod, I think. Thank you, uh, as always, for listening. Uh, as, also, also the quick quick shout-out to the dude with the My Wife Left Me sign at Game Day right after the proposal. Shout-out. That was incredible. Uh, Shout-out College Game Day, too, for that, that heel turn with the camera work. That was excellent. Uh, I actually know uh, the person who uh, ended up getting married. His name is – or ended up proposing. His name is – uh, Anthony, uh, he's a former, he's a big Penn State basketball guy, he actually lives near me in upstate New York. On the off chance you're listening to this, Anthony, shout out to you because it took some stones uh, to do that on national television, and congrats to you uh, and uh, Vanessa. Uh, and prop, props to you for celebrating in the camera before putting the ring on your future wife's face. Yeah, man. <laughs> shout out to Anthony and Vanessa for getting proposed on College Game Day, and shout out to, uh, I can't think of his name right now, uh, but I tweeted it out 
the dude who held up the my wife left me sign and then put his Twitter handle on there because that was the here I'm pulling it up right now. That was the best damn thing I've ever seen. Uh, his name was Tom. Uh, Tom underscore Doherty. Uh, yeah, Doherty underscore three. You're a real one, dude. You are a real one for that. So, uh, yeah. Uh, congrats to everyone involved with that moment of television because it was very, very good. Uh, also, congrats to uh, the people at Eleven Warriors. Please don't shut our site down when we uh, get you all back next year by walking into Columbus and winning forty to seventeen. And thank you always to all of you for listening to this edition of the podcast. Make sure you're subscribing on all of our various podcast platforms. Leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, buy some shirts. Keep reading and supporting the site. Keep following us on social media. Uh, and yeah, if uh, Nick and I make it up to any other games this year and you run into one of us, say hello. We always love meeting fans of the pod. Uh, one last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. I... Declare bankruptcy!